in a lot of religious traditions, there's a sense of dryness or dried upness, you know, kind of a shriveled, like it's not vibrant and pulsing and alive. Hello and welcome to the Life Outside the Lines podcast, where together we explore fresh perspectives on life, work, relationships and social change, inspiring your personal and collective rebellion and vibrant life outside the lines. I'm your host, Tamsin Wiley. Now, let's dive in. Joining me on the show today is Stephanie Lisa Kelly. Steph is a writer and eco-psychologist devoted to revitalizing our connections to the sacred and facilitating nature-based awakening. Steph has been called an inspirer, a rebel, a door opener, a powerhouse, and a deep diving life seducer. She hosts devotional singing circles, ceremonies, and councils, as well as retreats and vision quests that bring people into deep contact with themselves, each other, and the divine. Steph's writing has been described as sensuous mysticism, and she is the pen behind the weekly Wild Grace missives. She is the creator of the Wild and Free Workbook, co-creator of the Inner Light Retreat, and the Stillness and Sensuality course. Steph has a degree in psychology, is a certified coach, facilitator, flower essence therapist, and way of the council practitioner. Now, here's Steph. Hi, Steph, and welcome to the Life Outside the Lines podcast. I'm super excited to have you joining us today. Hi, Tamsin. Thank you for having me. You're joining us today from England, and I'm uh, recording this in Brisbane in Australia. So I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I'm on today, the Turrbal and the Yagara people, and paying my respects to their elders, past and present. So Steph, there's lots of topics that I'd love to get into with you today, but I think it might be helpful if you could start by defining or explaining for our listeners what eco-psychology is and how this ties in with nature-based awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, happy to. So eco-psychology is the fusion of ecology and psychology and it places the human psyche and spirit within an ecological context. So what that means in slightly more practical terms is that we explore selfhood through the lens of the natural world um, and at the same time have sort of an emergent inquiry into how we can live um, individually and collectively in alignment with ourselves and with all other beings that we share the planet with. Um, and so in terms of nature-based awakening, the the proposal is that this fostering this intimacy with nature is an, a, a necessary part, uh, in my mind, to... Um, any form of spiritual awakening because we're, we're not separate from anything that we share the planet with. We're not separate from anything, obviously, but at all in the whole universe. But, you know, starting with here, um, we're so disconnected from, from land nowadays and from, from our bodies, from everything that is of the earth. And, um, and, and, and at the same time, you know, there's all this, there's a lot of sort of uh, new agey, spirituality going on and it tends to be quite sort of um like higher frequency but ungrounded stuff and to me it's really important for our next step um you know as a global culture that we actually really come back and root ourselves in the earth that there's there is really no point in uh having any kind of awakening if you're not fully grounded in this reality where you are right now. Uh, the implications of that are myriad. But anyway, hopefully that a, a, um, a, a covers your, answers your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you. I'd be interested to hear also a little bit about your journey with spirituality. I mean, I've read that you were an atheist and um, you've had very a very involved journey I guess with spirituality as a concept and now coming around to where you are now working in nature-based awakening I'd be fascinated to hear a little bit about that path 
Mm, yeah, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> it has been a really interesting ride. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a family of atheists, so there was no, there were absolutely no religious or spiritual traditions. Um, I wasn't really taught anything about religion either. Both of my parents had just completely written off all of that. Um, and, and, and I think when I, I, I remember being a young child and asking my dad questions about, you know, space, like the stars, what's out there, what, you know, what's this universe thing, where does it end, how can it not end, etc. So that interest was always there and, you know, well, what, what is this thing? Like, what are we doing here? How are we here? And then, um, and I, you know, there were never any satisfactory answers whatsoever. Um, and, and as I came into adolescence and, you know, I think it, I think it did have a lot to do with my sensuality come, you know, blossoming the way that it does in adolescence. I was really drawn to, um, paganism or Wicca. So this really, um, earth-based we could also call it shamanic uh to some extent um tradition which for me the stream that I was exploring back then was the Celtic stream because I have a lot of Celtic and ancestry and um and I started experimenting with magic and ritual and ceremony in the forest with friends <laughs> and um and at the same time not really committing to it and not really buying into uh the concepts of there being gods and goddesses uh uh, the nature spirits part I was more open to but I have a very strong rational mind which really wanted to see some evidence of that (laughs) so so that was sort of the first um you know really my, my first sort of um proactive seeking um of how do we interact on some other subtler levels uh, where I might find some answers to about the nature of reality and my own nature. Um, and then from there, then I, I sort of threw all that out when I got to university and fell into this huge pit of um, depression and anxiety and existential crisis and turned to Buddhism, as so many people do, uh, because it's pretty good at handling that. Uh, learned to meditate and um, and my 20s were really yeah primarily oriented towards um attaining inner peace uh, that became the priority and i did to a very large extent um and so then in my 30s i found myself i mean obviously i mean well it depends how much how familiar one is with buddhism but it's um i would say one of the defining characteristics of the practice is discipline um particularly you know if you're really on the meditation track and there isn't very much of a, an embodied aspect to it, right? So for me, a very sort of heady, rational person, it's very comfortable. Buddhism is very, very comfortable. Um, and um, and then in my early 30s, I started really coming back to, I felt really felt so called to, to root back into um, shamanism and nature-based practices, into um, plant medicine, um, yeah, and I, a, a real desire to come back to some of the things I'd thrown out um, in my early twenties when I moved over, shifted to Buddhism, um, and to to open up again to some of these practices that uh, have a traditional and even religious component to them, and to actually open my heart to that, and to 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 ask, well, what you know, what merit is there here, and what happens if I go into this practice? Uh, with a really open system and actually explore what it what it does with me so that my 30s have been a very uh so I'm 39 now um a very open exploration um of many different traditions actually um and it's been incredibly rich um and so I'm sort of at the point now where there that there's a desire for all of it to um to synthesize somehow and i'm i'm still very much in the process of um tuning in and seeing how that wants to come into the world 
But certainly part of that is the nature-based awakening. But it's also not all of it. And that's where, that's my edge right now is is um, trying to tune into the other pieces that want to come in and how on earth they want to come in to the world. So, yeah, that's um, that's been the journey so far. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's really fascinating how you've moved through from an atheist upbringing through various exploring really a lot of different types of traditions and quite varied ones and pulling those threads together. Uh, I'm interested uh, in your point about the fact that you have a very rational mind, which I know from knowing you outside of this conversation. And it's a, it's a fascinating um, dance, I think, for a lot of people to try and comprehend how the rationality and spirituality can coexist and how does that manifest itself for you oh gosh that's such a good question it's such an important question I think um yeah it it's it's certainly I would say it's really slowed my progress (laughs) generally speaking um because the rationality I definitely have a mind that is yes sorry yeah exactly Mm -hmm. the this this insistence that my mind has on I need it there needs to be you know it needs to look like it needs to look rational it needs to be deductive it needs to be logical uh, I need to see evidence uh, there need to be clear links between cause and effect you know it's um I also you know had scientific training at university so it's really been a long journey to to soften that, you know, by no means letting it go, but to soften it enough so that my life can become more of um, a truly open inquiry rather than um, doing what the mind really loves to do, which is to say, well, I'm a scientist, but I've got all these preconceptions, <laughs> you know, and you're mm-hmm. not a scientist if you've got loads of preconceptions. Well, not, not a true scientist has... Um, you know, curiosity is the fundamental nature of that, is to be truly curious and truly open um, and open to being surprised. And the thing is, the mind is not a humble creature whatsoever. The mind thinks it already knows. So, you know, the the, the real practice for me has been um, really, and actually at the core of this, and I love that this has just popped into my um, awareness, is is humility. You know, if you really practice true humility, which for me is the the number one practice of of you know any spiritual quest, um, if you really pra- practice humility, it means relinquishing what you think you know, and actually then really sinking into this beautiful open space where you become so much more receptive. And, you know, really energetically receptive, not just mentally receptive. And of course, you know, the spiritual is not something rational. It's not something logical. It's not stuff we can package nicely. And um, although we're getting there with metaphysics, aren't we? So maybe at some point that will be uh, more packageable. But right now, and I think in the, for, for a true inner understanding, the only way that we get that, under- that that true understanding within ourselves is through this subtle knowing um, in the heart and in in our whole energetic system, and and to to have an awareness of that, you you need to foster that capacity to actually hear that, to be in contact with, you know, the the, the subtler levels of your own being, um, to notice what's going on there, and to to there to then be able to you know, perhaps reflect and contemplate and perhaps draw some conclusions. But in any case, for me, this is my form of spirituality, right, where it's all about um, what the Christian tradition calls kenosis. So it's, it's, um, it's revelation that occurs within my system. It's not, um, you know, I've never been someone who can be told something, really, (laughs) I'm like, I just have to, I don't, I'll never believe something just because somebody else says it. It has to go through my own system of inter, inner knowing. And only at that point will I be like, well, yeah, now this is what I think. This is what I believe. Um, and, and so, so 
it's been a very long learning process to figure out how to do that because the the grasp of my mind has has been quite strong um and i i do think that that's why we're in spiritual crisis right now is because we have this hyper rational culture how have you gone about cultivating that capacity to tune into your inner knowing or to be open and receptive mm. well i i i'd have to say that it definitely started with um with meditation because i mean when i started meditation i was very anxious and depressed and i had you know when you're in that state it's a very very low energetic state and um you're not really able to sense more subtle refined energies because you're really distressed right um and so so the first part of it for sure is coming to a place where there's a um an, an inner equilibrium and meditation is great for that um and then from there fostering this capacity to just listen you know listen so you can do meditative practices where you're really listening for to hear the blood moving through your veins you know and to 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 feel the breath as it goes into all the the lungs and then draws back out again and you know the, these really like starting to attune to just more subtle um levels of experience and then a big part of it for me has been being in nature because it's so easy for me to be still when I'm in nature and to really become quiet and and noticing it's just fostering the capacity for noticing Um, and the more that you foster it the more enchanted you with become with how much starts to appear so there's no silence anymore the silence even what we might term as well, real actual silence. There aren't any birds or, you know, traffic noises or anything. It's so rich. It's actually such a rich um, place. So the last piece, but which is absolutely crucial, is the coming more into our bodies, you know. And so um, really uh, fostering the relationship with our bodies, which most of us have need for. And this is also another thing that draws the attention out of the mind, literally pulls energy out of the mind where most of us have it pulled and sort of redistributes it a bit more evenly throughout the body. So that, you know, when I was younger, I I don't think I ever really had awareness of my hands or my arms or, you know, it was really, I was sort of quite detached from my body. Um, and nowadays I'm, you know, very connected to all of it and there's a lot of um you know I'll notice if my body wants to make a certain movement you know or whatever so it's um it's very much that's part of it as well you know it's just becoming um and um how can I say that hmm. well I'd say a deeply embodied and integrally aware uh, creature. On the topic of being embodied and the way that your spiritual practice now is closely integrated with with your body, that your body is is an intrinsic part of that, right? I wanted to also ask you around the topic of how the union of the holy and the erotic plays out in nature based awakening and nature based spirituality, because obviously those holy and erotic in um, perhaps more, you know, the more traditional mainstream monotheistic religions are not usually two concepts that at least on in the way that it's widely practiced, I'm not, I'm not sure if you get down into the, the deep mystical roots of those traditions, mm. maybe there is more of a link, but the way that it's been presented in the, you know, modern time um, or through the history that is widely available is that the holy and the erotic are not things that are generally linked. And I know that's different in nature-based spirituality and I'd be curious to hear more about what that is and how it plays out. Mm, Gosh, I feel like that's such a huge question. There's like (laughs) 10,000 places I could go with it. Um, Yeah. So I guess yes. why um, have they been kept? It's all right, I will manage my good, <laughs> One part, my, I guess I'm curious to know why why you think they've been kept separate? 
um, in in the mainstream view yeah. of religion often and how it's different in the practices that you yeah. do and the approach that you take. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first one's easy, power, 100%. The only reason they've been kept separate is power, um, is the the patriarchal uh, dominance models that we've had for quite a few millennia now um, that have that really fostered this moving away from the earth moving away from that which is natural eros the the principal creative force which is you know what imbues us with sensuality and sexuality and you know which uh naturally flows through everything that is living um that has been quite purposefully i think um in most traditions has been uh removed as a way to you know without wanting to sound too um demonizing but to um remove the the place and the power of women um which is a very effective way of allowing um a few men to have a lot of power so you know and you can really see that through all the traditions um and that's, you know, it's had its time and it's served its evolutionary purpose and it's just, it's time to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, and so with nature-based awakening, and I mean, the, you know, of course, the first, the principal model where this hasn't been the case is the tantric path. Um, but what we understand by tantra now, I don't mean sexual practices, um, there's a whole neo-tantric movement which, you know, one needs to build one's own uh, opinion about. But I would definitely say always be very, very cautious with all of this. But the original path of Tantra is is all about union. Um, and, and in fact, as you pointed to before, when you do get to the mystical level of, I, I haven't explored this in all traditions, but at least in many um, you do find this uh, fundamental knowledge that um, the path towards wholeness, which we could also call the spiritual path, the path towards wholeness, is necessarily about union. Um, and how can union be union if there's anything that is an exception? If, if there's something that is not included in that, necessarily everything must be included in order for it to result in true wholeness. So that's that's um, my perspective on it. I find it logical and obvious, which makes me really happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so with the nature-based practices, it's you know, of course, um, when we come back to the earth, we come back to our bodies, uh, we come back to our instincts, we come back to our senses, um, and we come back to Eros. And so for me, Eros is really what I would call this, you know, you could call it the feminine principle. Um, if you think, you know, in Buddhist terms, the non-dual plane of emptiness before creation and Eros is then the creative principle that comes in and animates life. Um, Eros is what makes us feel alive and juicy and excited and um, full of creativity and the desire to create, you know, and to to manifest new things in the world. Um, and it's also our desire for pleasure and enjoyment and joy and intimacy. And actually, intimacy is a really it's probably the most crucial word around all of this. There, there's um, I'd say, yeah, in a in a, a lot of religious traditions, anyway, there's a certain there's a sense of dryness or dried upness, you know, kind of, kind of a a shriveled, like it's not it's not vibrant and pulsing and alive, you know. It's it's something which came from wisdom, but has been, you know, um, it's like I want to invent a word here. This isn't a word, but rigid, rigidified, <laughs> like. You know that it's been sort of got stuck in these in these certain patterns and forms, and this is the formula, and it's 
to me, anything that where I can't feel the current of creative intelligence flowing, I'm not going to trust it because there's something stuck there. And well, that's a big red flag, right? So, so already for me, as soon as I'm in nature, as soon as I'm engaging with nature, engaging with my body, and I'm start, I'm feeling that, oh yes, there's a there's a current here that's alive and it's animating me. Um, that's I mean, already it feels incredible. Just saying it now, I can feel myself feeling more alive. I should say it's morning here. I am very excited to be on this call. But it's, <laughs> you know, so, um, and so, so that's already, for me, that's, you know, my inner sort of, um, it's like a compass, you know, it's a, like a compass that's seeking for truth, right? And it's like, when I, when I start feeling that current and that aliveness coming through me, I'm like, ah, okay, we're pointing pretty much north now let's move forward because there's going to be something interesting here this is this is and this is also you know the sense of being pulled towards rather than um rather than trying to move away from so when i went into buddhism i was moving away from suffering i was trying to move away from suffering i wasn't being pulled into it through joy now that's just my personal experience that says nothing about buddhism necessarily but um but with nature i'm i'm pulled into it and i'm 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 delighted by it and i'm 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 drenched in it you know it's such an alive experience now i would argue that any practice from any tradition if you really give yourself to it with your full presence and to me that means including the body and this is where the holy erotic piece starts to come in um it is necessarily going to be a deeply embodied sensuous because that is our the nature of the body is the sensing sensuous um and and potentially profoundly insightful um experience and that that was my experience that I started having the last few years whereas I really began having these um and I, I'd say remaining open, that's what I learned to do, is to remain open to the higher dimensions um, that I would be wanting to connect to. And at the same time, staying very much in my body and seeing what how my body responded rather than just like, oh, isn't it interesting? You know, this is what I'm noticing here, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, what's happening in my body as I connect with this higher plane of or dimension of reality? What's What's my body thinking about it? Or what's my body feeling, sensing, um, intuiting about this, you know? And and really, if you involve your body, there will be a sense of intimacy. And it's just so rich and magnificent and just beyond, so far beyond any purely mental experience that I that I used to have when I was just meditating a lot, you know? I'll maybe stop there because I could obviously ramble on about this forever, but um, maybe you want to sort of get me back on, on track. No, no, that's perfect. Thank you. As I was listening, I was thinking about other people listening and also myself who lives in an apartment where the closest I get to nature on a daily basis is probably a couple of borderline dead pot plants <laughs> that are on my balcony in it might seem um, <laughs> that that's sort of like, it's not like I'm stepping out into this lush forest every day and I'm this thinking of other people who are um, listening who might be in a similar urban environment and what you would say to them about moving down this path of connecting more with nature if they are feeling restricted, depleted, um, maybe constricted, the, some of the feelings mm. that you described as perhaps mm. the um, upshot of being disconnected from nature. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that. It's 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 super it's super important actually because I mean obviously millions of us do live in urban environments. Um, so two two things really, uh, or two two pathways avenues. Um, one is really deeply connecting with your body. Your body represents the whole earth that everything that is your body is also the earth and just fostering that is an incredibly rich practice and really you know what happens if you start treating your body as though it was mother earth you know what if, what ha would you 
um, you know, if you bring in that reverence and and that devotion and even ceremony, you know, um, you can honor the earth through honoring your body at a very deep level. And it's not not just, you know, this goes for everything, but anything we do um, for ourselves, we also do for the whole world. So this is, you know, it, it's a it's a more important spiritual practice than it might first sound. It's not just pampering yourself, right? Although yeah. that, that what might be some great. ways to honor your body? Some perhaps some just tangible things that you could suggest. Um, well, I so I do love yoga. Yoga has been the thing that has really changed my relationship with my body, and um, doing it really slowly, really mindfully, with immense love and gratitude for every cell in the body, for every tendon, for every sinew giving gratitude to the body, um, spending a lot of time in Shavasana or, or just doing, you know, restorative yoga. So, you know, just putting something under your a pillow under your back and then just lying there with limbs splayed um, with some nice aromatherapy or incense or some gorgeous music on. Um, sensual showers, you know, have a candle lit shower or bath, um, with no distractions, you know, and just really being with your body. How does it feel? What would it say if it could talk? You know, what does it want you to know? Um, yeah, having conversations with your body. It's it's just extraordinary. We like we we don't ask, but if you ask, very often answers are there. <laughs> answers, you know, she's waiting to talk to you. Um and um yeah, of course, you know, the other general ways of, you know good eating and um uh and other practices but you, you could also really go a step further and do uh, a little ritual to honor your body um and and the earth at the same time um you could you know of course that the most uh, yeah probably would i say that probably the most um the most powerful thing is to do something every day you know to really have um, and it can be five minutes in the morning that you just take to, you know, just really be with your body and uh, give it gratitude. You can do meditate, you know, scans, body scans, and just go through the whole thing and just shower devotion on your own body for everything that it allows you to do. Um, and for all the lessons that it is potentially teaching you. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, the, the other piece is um visualization um we can really imagine ourselves to anywhere now i of course people have different facilities or not facilities what's the word i'm looking for um you know it's a, a different abilities i suppose in in uh imagining something but it's really the imagination is always there and it's sometimes a bit rusty in us <laughs> adults if we haven't used it for a while but I generally I think people are surprised by how easily they're able to imagine things so you can um you can take yourself for a little walk you can imagine yourself in the most beautiful place you would possibly could possibly be and really you know how does it smell how does the earth feel beneath your feet or perhaps you're in the ocean or perhaps you're a bird and flying over the Andes um, you know, uh, you can be anywhere you want in your imagination. And it's uh, remarkable that, so again, this could sound just like, oh, it's just a little like, you know, fanciful, whatever. But there is research showing how insanely powerful imagination is. So with athletes, for example, if an athlete really imagines um, doing their routine, the physiological uh, effect in some some obviously not all of them but some measures and neurological activity no that's what it was is the neurological activity is actually the same as if they did the activity so you know let that sink in that's really profound <laughs> basically and I know I know stroke patients who have imagined their way back to moving their limbs so the imagination is incredibly powerful and and spe so even spending time quote unquote spending time in nature in your mind will produce physiological effects um 
and then of course there's the sort of more tangible thing of well get some house plants and treat them with complete and utter devotion <laughs> um you know and and talk to them and and ask them how they are and what they need and what they'd like to tell you there's you know there's a big part of nature based awakening is reanimating the world the world is not a static thing in fact nothing you know what we think of as solid isn't even solid it's it's all just energy moving at different vibrations everything is alive and animated and you know there are so many different levels of understanding this right you don't have to suddenly be like oh i believe in fairies um but you know the just opening even just a tiny crack you know in the door of the mind to like well what is plant intelligence like what's it like to be a plant you know how how is this plant that's sitting here on my desk right now how is this plant experiencing right now this moment how is it experiencing me sitting here and sending all these sound waves into it as i'm speaking you know and 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 what is what's the experience of a sheep on dartmoor in england where i am right now you know standing out there in the mist um what what's the experience of the river you know the life like if you think about a river coming down from the mountains and flowing out to the sea i mean there's i feel like i've gone really off track now <laughs> i'm getting so excited about re- reanimating the world anyway it's um it's it's so easy to just do and it's got so much to do with just becoming curious again you know and and also you know what I was saying with the visualizations well yeah what happens in me if I so I sit down maybe I I can you know give myself a scale of one to ten say hmm what's am I in a state right now where ten is like really fabulous and zero is a bit flat where am I at and then you you know, spend five minutes imagining you're in this beautiful place and you're interacting with it and you're you know, the smell and the sounds and the feel of the air on your skin. And maybe you interact with some other animals or beings there, whatever. Um, and then do another inner check afterwards and just see what happens, you know, become, become more curious about, I think that's, um, I mean, again, I feel like I've already sort of said this but for me the spiritual path is really one of just immense curiosity joyful curiosity you know and and if you if you cultivate that well there's no end to it and you're never going to think that you have answers which is delusional and which will immediately mean that you're stuck you know so the safest way for me <laughs> to go through life is to just just remain intensely curious and assume that you really don't have a clue about anything and it it's fabulous Never a dull moment. Linking back to what you said earlier, what you've just described is, in my understanding, essentially the basis of a of a scientific mindset. <laughs> so, um, mm. when you put it like that, it is actually not that at odds with um, the spiritual realms at all. I also going back to what you were saying about those practices mm. that people can do to reconnect to their bodies etc I find that when I do those kind of practices what then also happens is my nervous system will calm down enough to the extent that when I do go outside say on my little balcony I actually notice that there is an abundance of aliveness and nature around me so I might notice the sun Mm. on my skin or actually look up at the sky and the clouds Mm. um, and pay attention to various aspects that I didn't notice before because I think in a busy urban environment we kind of can tend to shut down as a protection mechanism because they're overstimulated so it's almost like calming the nervous system down enough to notice the subtler things that we've been blocking out as well Mm. would you say that that's something that um you've found to be the case as well oh gosh absolutely absolutely and that that links back to what i was saying before with the you know the meditation and calming the system down so that there is actually so that we're actually able to be available to our experience in the moment you know you can't you're not present if you're filled with anxiety or overwhelm or you know just that that sort of hurried rushed feeling that so many um people have nowadays and really all we need to be in in a, an experience of deep joy in the moment is to 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 have the to to be available to our experience you know um 
which I, I feel is a bit different to just saying, well, be present, you know, because... Yeah, I think so too. I think there is a difference and it would be good if you articulated it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've never tried before, so let's see. I'm, I, but I, it's just come to me now. It feels different, you know. Um, it feels different. I guess I want to. I just want to go to the 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 availability piece because that's what feels like with me has really changed. Where I'm so much more available to my experience now, um, whether that is by myself or with other people, um, or or animals or nature or whatever else, right? But. Um, there's 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 so much there's an inner space there's spaciousness and that spaciousness allows me to notice it's almost like my insides the the the, the inner pace is slow enough so that I can notice stuff I'd say there's just like you know the simplest way of explaining it would probably just be that I'm just there's there's enough inner quietness so that I can notice things and then when I notice something that catches my attention, I can just stop and be with it. And I can be with it really deeply again, because as you said, like the nervous system is calm enough so that, um, so that I can really sink into that moment. And there isn't, there isn't the sort of like pulling myself out of it. Cause some, you know, I feel like a lot of the time in modern life, there are there are opportunities everywhere, right? There's an opportunity con- to connect with the person who's the cashier who's passing your groceries through the thing, the till, and there's an opportunity to connect with the dog passing you in the street. There's an opportunity to connect with the tree that is on your way to work every day. But we tend to not do it because we're caught up in this. Just well, we're caught up in a lot of mental stuff usually, you know, and and not really being available to our experience. What happens if you do actually start greeting that tree on your way to work every day? You know, what happens if you if you say an inner hello to every animal and human that passes you in the street? That's maybe going to be way super overwhelming for people who live in cities. Scrap that. <laughs> but, um, you know, just that, the, just, and, and, um, yeah, but you see what I mean. So I think that th- th- mm. that being available to your experience is that is the key piece for me, and it 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 it's definitely um, it feels a lot more tangible than just the concept of presence. So I, I think you require presence in order to to be fully available to your experience, but you can also be. You know, because I've met a lot of people who've done a lot of meditation and they're not very available to their experience necessarily, you know, and that's important to notice. And um, so it's not just that. It's not just about cultivating presence. It's to me anyway, right, because I don't want to be a monk in a cave. It's very tempting sometimes, but um, I want to be part of this world. I want to be weaving the world, you know, and, and so that requires me to bring my spiritual practice into my actual life, into my day-to-day life, um, with everything that that includes. And, and that means bringing that presence in means being available to my experience. Because only in that way am I really uh, interacting and being part of the, the interbeing of this planet at this time where I'm alive, you know? Yeah. And... Before we finish off, I wanted to just loop back to something you said at earlier and right at the beginning where you mentioned um, that you feel that reconnecting with place and with nature is really important for humanity in the big picture sense now. I can't remember your exact words, but something along those lines. And you also mentioned that you feel that hyper-rationality is a problem that we're um, dealing with at this point in our human and earth history as well. Could you explain a little bit why you think it is so important at this moment that we reconnect with place and with nature and the the mm-hmm. change that you think we could see in the world if that happened? Mm. Yeah. Oh, it really just moves me when hearing you because I'm like, oh, this is so... It's, yeah, it's just the most important thing right now. Obviously, we're destroying the planet, which is kind of awkward seeing as we live on it. Um, and 
you know, the ecological crisis is not something that is out there. You know, it's something which is occurring in each of us. And I think I need to attribute that to Charles Eisenstein, who's just a fabulous, fabulous human being. Um, and every word that comes out of his mouth is incredibly wise. So I really recommend checking him out. Um, um, but yeah, it's not something that's out there. The ecological crisis is it has its origins within each of us in, in every way that we don't honor our own bodies our own sensuality and sexuality in the way that we don't honor each other and our relationality to each other. And that means humans. It also means then obviously spreading out, you know, the circle of concern. It means animals, it means plants, you know, and um, trees and uh, soil and water and air. It's, you know, it, it comes from an inner fragmentation whereby we do not believe that these things matter and 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 the troubling thing is that that you know they matter they're part of us we we have all of those things in us in our own bodies so this this fragmentation whereby we we're, we're dissociated from the water in our bodies and the fire in our bellies and the you know the air like moving in and out of our lungs and it's it's a really core um, fracture, you know, the dissociation that we have, and, and that is reflected in our lack of care for the planet. Um, and so it's just, it's just so, so important that we start healing that because, you know, outer practices, I mean, we can, you know, push the government with petitions to try and get better policies in place to protect our waters and our air and everything else. But fundamentally, we're not going to achieve the enormous shifts that we need um, unless there is really an inner revolution. Um, and, and and that is, you know, for me, that that is, it's 100% spiritual um, because nature is our nature. We are fundamentally woven into the fabric of this earth and and vice versa and she's depending on us and all the other creatures that we and beings that we share this planet with are also depending on us to resolve this crisis within ourselves and then of course also externally and i mean there's so much great stuff happening but it's we're just really at that tipping point where um it's really critical that we examine for ourselves you know where do i how do I disconnect myself from myself? How do I disconnect myself from the other humans and animals and plants that are around me? And and what's underneath that? You know, again, just to get curious, why why am I separating myself from this tree? This what you know, why why am I um what what what's what is underlying that? I mean it's always yeah. I, actually, I don't, I'm not going to put any answers out there about that. But um, yeah, it, it's 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 really this this fundamental crisis. You could also call it, you know, the crisis of the feminine because this whole patriarchal system has really, you know, distanced us massively from everything which we would put under the category of feminine: the body and the senses and the, um, you know, the, our animal nature, which obviously includes. Uh, sensuality and sexuality and the expression of eros and aliveness and joy and playfulness and you know um all of that aliveness that is so fundamentally part of our nature and which we find in nature you know which is so it's suppressed in us and therefore it doesn't matter out there in the world mm. um yeah and I know that you work with people in a variety of different ways um, in this field, again, in reconnecting with nature and with themselves and various other things. I know there's many strings in, in your bow, but if people are curious to find out more about you or learn what you do in the world, where can they find you? Mm, well, my website is stephanielisakelly.com. And, um, Everything that I'm currently offering is up on there. There'll be, I think, quite a lot of change coming soon. But fundamentally, the stuff that's on there is going to continue to be part of my work. Um, and 
I'm on Instagram um, as Radiant Devotion. Um, and I am also on Facebook, but I don't do much on there. If you could describe in three words or a short sentence how living a life outside the lines feels to you, what would you say? Oh, uh, vital, uh, joyful, and... um, I'm going to just say devotional, joyfully devotional, devotional to that sense of mystery and magic. And I don't know what's happening next. And it's wonderful. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? You know what, there's one thing that I wanted to say before with the whole practices in an urban environment, and I I, I forgot. Um, and, you know, it's a very simple practice that you can have. If you've got even, you know, a small park near you, is to just find a sit spot, to just find a little corner um, where you can sit and just go there if not every day, then as close as possible to every day or several times a week. And to just sit in that spot and be, to not not read or, um, you know, look at your phone or, or have a conversation, but just, just sit in that spot and be present with what is around you. And to really get to know the flora and fauna in that tiny spot, it really doesn't need to be much because the more you deepen your awareness, the more you see and the more you can engage with and the more fascinating every tiny piece of it becomes. So even just a tiny corner of nature can become a really profound container for expanding your connection to the natural world. Thank you. And thanks so much for being on today. You've been really generous in sharing so much of your experience and and wisdom and thoughts and practical applications of your work and I really appreciate the time you've taken in raising this important topic for our listeners today. Thank you so much for having me on Tamsin. It's been really gorgeous. My pleasure. If you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Curious to learn more about creating your own life outside the lines? Get your free guide at the link in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep living outside the lines.